everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneurs Rx. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Tracy Gappin, who is a founder of the Gappin Institute, along with the founder and CMO of Male VIP. He's a board-certified urologist and a men's health expert, and I am thrilled that you're on the podcast. You're also a author and speaker, and you've written for Entrepreneur Magazine, so you've kinda, you're kind of you you're a polymath. Uh, yes, I have been very busy, to say the least. Yes. That's excellent. Okay, so... You know, I always start with this, you know, probably I love physician entrepreneurs. So first off, let's start with the physician thing. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually knew I wanted to be a doctor back in third grade or so. I, I remember uh, there was the, the heart diagram on the ground, you know, made out of tape on the ground. And we had to walk through the chambers of the heart, you know, the path the blood goes to, to, from the heart to the lungs. And I was fascinated with anatomy from that point on. And uh, my mom was a nurse. And so I, I'm sure that had some aspect, of, uh, some influence on me. Uh, but I knew very, very early I wanted to be a doctor. And, and I think there was about maybe two days during, during my undergraduate years at Texas A&M where I wavered and thought about accounting. But, but then I came back to reality. <laughs> that was when I hated loss. I know, right? Yeah, I, I hated my, my physical chemistry class at that time. I was thinking, maybe just forget biology. I'll just do accounting. But I, I stayed with it, obviously. And uh, yeah, so I was dedicated to medicine at a very early age. Because there's so much physical chemistry in what we do now, isn't there? Of course. I, I use it every day, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I never, I got out of that class because I was a sociology major. Yeah. I thank God I didn't have to take that class organically. It was so bad. Oh, it, it was bad. awful. All right, so you, so you did medical school. And then why urology? Yeah, you know, I, I was a surgeon from the day I knew I wanted to be a doctor. There was no question in my mind that, that that was my mentality. I didn't know yet what type of surgery I wanted to do. General surgery didn't appeal to me. Just doing colon surgery all day, colon and breast surgery every day uh, didn't seem very exciting. You know, it's interesting as physicians, for all the other physician listeners, you know, it's interesting to think back to third year medical school. You have a very short window during which you need to decide what the hell you're going to do with your life. And you have to start doing applications very early in fourth year, obviously. And so you have very little time to make this major decision that impacts the rest of your life. And so it, to me, it got to the spring and I still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do yet. And the girl I happened to be dating at the time, her brother was a urology resident at the time. He was a, a third year resident and he was there at, at UT Southwestern. And so I shadowed him. I went to the VA during my spring break. I did not go skiing like all my buddies did. I instead went to the VA for a week and because I, I would otherwise not have gotten any urology exposure. There are no rotations in urology. And I loved it. I thought it was, it was an amazing specialty, work with men and women, young and old, operate, do medical care. And they all seem to love what they're doing. And, and I, I really found a passion for it and found what I thought was my calling. And so I jumped into urology. That's excellent. Yeah. For some reason, you're, you're dead on in medical school. You better choose early. Urology never crossed my mind. I, I mean, I was a definite surgeon mentality. Thought I was going to do yeah. surgery the whole time. Never thought about urology. Interesting. Okay, so you do urology, but then, as I recall, you know, doing my background check on you, you were one of the first folks in Sarasota, right, to do robotic surgery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, right. that's so, badass. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, you know, when I got out of residency training at the time, no one was really doing much robotics at uh, a few academic centers, but otherwise it was really relatively cutting edge. And I'm always thinking along cutting edge lines. I like to be a pioneer. I like to really think differently. And I knew that that robotics was really the future of medicine. And so I went through some training programs at the time. I pushed the hospital here in Sarasota to get the first robot locally. 
and did the first two cases. That was back in 2006. So we did the very first two cases, July of 06. And um, the program exploded from there. And then now that I think they have like six robots there now and all the other hospitals in town have robots and everywhere around the country. You know, from that day, from July, whatever of 2006, when I did those first two robotic prostatectomies, I've never done an open prostate since. And it's oh, really become the standard of care that robotic, you know, is, is the way to go. So, wow. so that was that. And then the, the next realm for me was prostate biopsies as it related to these prostate cancer patients. I found that there was this cutting edge new tool called MRI guided biopsy or fusion biopsy, where you can take MRI imaging of the prostate and really very precisely identify where the cancer or where a suspicious lesion was and target it for biopsy. You know, the, the old fashioned standard approach is just to do an ultrasound guide, which is rant, you, you might as well be blindfolded, just, just hoping to hit a cancer if it's there. And now suddenly we have MRI technology had improved enough that we can now use that to really precisely pinpoint areas of concern that we had never done before. So I pioneered that in the area as well as the first doc to do any sort of MRI guidance when it came to biopsies in the area. And then along those lines, the next technology was HIFU, which is high-intensity focused ultrasound uh, to treat prostate cancer. And what you can do with that is once you've done a very precise targeted biopsy and found that you just have a small tumor, let's say up in, in the right anterior gland, then you can treat that area you know, think of it like a partial lumpectomy for breast cancer, you can treat that area with ultrasound-based technology and kill the cancer and minimize side effects. So that got me into HIFU, which was another kind of cutting edge area. And then I really pioneered completely away from urology into health optimization and longevity. And, and that, that's where I am now for the next leading edge. So are you still doing traditional Urology? Urology. I actually exited traditional urology. So I, I made the massive leap of faith. Uh, that was December 30th of this year when I left traditional urology. I cut ties. I have no Medicare contract. I opted out of Medicare. I have no uh, commercial contracts. And I officially 100% went cash-based. And uh, now that was not without planning. I don't want to say that it, I was just you know randomly, flippantly making that decision. It was about eight years in the making to get to that point. So let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's a rate limiting factor for a lot of folks. And honestly, probably for myself included, since I was in the emergency department until 10 o'clock last night. And I've got a few years on you. That had to be, you know, you wake up or I guess December 31st and go, geez, now what am I? Because you did all this cool stuff. Yeah. And, you know, God knows I have a prostate cancer. I probably have flown down to see you. But now it's, you're not doing any of that. Was that a tough decision? Oh, incredibly tough, John. Yeah. And, and I actually, I had to give my group, I, I was part of a five-man urology practice. And so I had to give them a one-year notice, actually. So July 1 of last year, I finally said, today, I just got to do it. Today's the day. You know, July 1, you know, in medicine, we all know that's kind of a big day as like the next year, so to speak, when, when we went through our training. And so yes. I just made the decision months before that. I was like, J July 1's my day. I'm doing it. And I gave my notice that day. And I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. You know, clock's ticking. And it got closer and closer. You know, I'm losing sleep at night up, you know, thinking about it, worried about it. And it's a it's a massive undertaking and it was not without risk. And it was a calculated risk, but I'm so glad I did. That's really, that's awesome. Any any advice for people? Because I know there's a lot of people listening to this who are literally in your shoes. Like, yeah, yeah. I want to do this. I'm set up to do this. But God, I studied my whole life, you know, third yeah. grade, you're walking through the heart diagram. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you're doing sure. cool, other cool stuff, but you don't have a scalpel in your hand anymore. Right. So I didn't actually think that we'd be going down this deep, but I'll tell you that I grew many years ago to become disenfranchised, disillusioned, 
nearly hate medicine. Really? I found that when I, when I'd be called at two in the morning because the nurse took out a catheter and now they can't get it back in, I'm having to race to the hospital, put in a catheter. I found myself angry. I found when I was in the ER with a guy who overdosed on Trimix for the fourth time in the last two weeks, having to do a, you know, treatment for priapism in the ER, that I was pissed. When a guy, you know, I would basically find reasons every, every situation to become more and more angry with, with the situation. And it wasn't the patient's fault, obviously. It, it was simply the matter that I grew to no longer enjoy it. You deal with the nonsense bullshit of the nurses, you know, and the, and the paperwork and the bureaucracy and the insurance companies and all the stuff that you have to go through. And I had a lawsuit. I had a lawsuit. This was about 10 years ago where I was sued by a guy. I did a robotic prostatectomy on him. Went beautifully. He's cancer-free, no problems. He was in and out of the hospital. He developed a very rare, weird complication from the catheter. He got a urethrocutaneous fistula just below the meatus. Basically, the ventral skin was so thinned out that just putting the catheter in, he developed the fistula there. And through no fault of my own, nothing was done out of the ordinary, you know, so to speak, shit happens. And he sued me and I had to spend a week in court defending myself in front of a jury away from work, having to defend all my work and be crushed by this, you know, prosecuting attorney. And then the jury comes back, you know, at the end of that week, Friday afternoon saying, I'm quote, not guilty. Like, think about that. Like, not, not only did I save this guy's life from prostate cancer and do everything by the book, textbook and, and everything's perfect. I'm just simply not guilty. I'm not like innocent. I'm not, you know, nothing like that. And so it, it hits you hard. Even when you've done nothing wrong, you get sued and you have to go through that. And, and as the, the plaintiff was walking out of the room, he says to his attorney and friends next to him, oh, well, like just pure cash grab kind of thing. And so I got to the point where long story short, I just really got frustrated and fed up with medicine and I lost my passion. And so I found it again. I found it with what I'm doing now again. And so, you know, it's a, it's a tough, massive step to leave traditional medicine, but you got to follow your passion. You got to love what you do. And I knew that I could not go through the rest of my life doing it if I didn't love it and feel passion. And it started to really affect my relationship with my patients. And I felt that I saw it and it wasn't fair to them either. So I knew it was just time. Wow, that is really an amazing story. And I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people because particularly after the last couple of years, yeah. you know, the moral injury and burnout and where we've all been through, I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of solace in the way you just described it, that they're not alone. I yeah. bet, you know, I'm, I have a law degree as well. So I help, I try to help a lot of physicians going through this. And you're right. It takes, you know, win, lose, or draw, negligent or not, it takes a huge burden. And like you said, you know, usually it's two weeks and it's like, you know, walk out of there. And like you said, the guy's like, oh, oh, well, we gave it a shot. Sorry. And to you, this is crushing. All right. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial efforts because that's, that's really what this is about. What got you into this? It's not alternative medicine at all. What got you into this alternative path? So, you know, going back about eight years or so ago, that was, you know, shortly after that lawsuit, when I realized that, that I could not do this for the rest of my life. And I realized, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to transition? What, you know, I actually thought for a brief time of leaving medicine completely. And I worked with some business coaches. I worked, I went through uh, some conferences on, on non-clinical careers in medicine, looked to do some consulting, all this kind of different options. And you, you mentioned a, a moment ago about all the training we go through. And I realized that I have this incredible education and knowledge base and experience that is honestly a shame to waste. And so that got me to the point where now how can I leverage and use and not waste everything I've been through for the last, uh, you know, now it's six years of training plus 17 years of practice. That's 23 years of 
medical training and, and practice that I would be throwing away if I decided to be a real estate agent, for example. And so I spent time looking into how can I use what I've learned to fulfill my entrepreneurial spirit? Because along the way there, my wife and I, uh, we got married nine years ago, actually. We just had our anniversary a couple of days ago. So nine years ago, shortly after we got married, we opened, because I'm such an entrepreneur, um, we opened a local restaurant delivery service. And that, that was my attempt at being an entrepreneur. And it was a disaster. We lost money. We lost, we lost some, I mean, I spent Mother's Day one year delivering food while my wife was at home running the dispatch on the computer. And it was a disaster of a business. And you have to rely on delivery drivers who don't care. They just quit in the middle of the shift and take, take their food home and eat, eat the food. Customers are calling, where's my food? And the delivery driver's at home eating it. They don't care. Yeah. Um, so, that was, so that was my entrepreneurial attempts. So I realized that you know if I'm going to do something entrepreneurial, it really needs to somehow be a passion that I can do it long-term. And so I started diving deep into what's my passion and how can I you know, tie that into my career? And what I realized, John, was that my passion was being a dad, you know, my real passion. And, and I get, I get like actually emotional every time I, I start talking about this, but um, I had a shitty childhood and my parents divorced at a very young age and I really had no father figure growing up. And so my kids, my boy just turned eight last week and my daughter's six. And to me, like they're everything to me. Like, it's like, how can I be the best? This got me to, how can I be the best man? How can I be the best dad? How can I be the best person so that I can be around to be the dad for them that I never had kind of thing? That that kind of became a big deal to me. Well, how do you do that? How do I fulfill this void that I had in my life for my kids? And that's to make me the best person I can be. And so that got me to personal development and optimizing my health. And I was at the time 30 pounds overweight and I went for my first physical because of this kind of stuff. And my, my cholesterol was sky high. My creatinine was one, four, my CRP was three, and I was a mess on paper and I have a, a strong family history of cardiovascular disease. And so I, I kind of freaked out and, and thought, oh shit, you know, I need to do something. And so that got me down the road of epigenetics. And that got me to, you and I were talking off camera about Apiron and, and the epigenetics training program and learning how to use genetics to personalize health and about the, the tenets of aging and how to, you know, we can actually look at ways of reversing aging, which sounds crazy, but it's actually possible. And optimizing health and understanding, you know, a lot of functional medicine components that we used to scoff at as in our medical group, doctor groups. But there's a lot of real science behind understanding functional medicine and how um, I talk a lot about with my MALE framework, which I, I coined, you know, the male framework focusing on men's health. M is mindset, A is aging, looking at hormones and cellular efficiency and mitochondrial function and stuff like that. L is lifestyle, nutrition, sleep, and fitness. And E is environment, like gut health and detox and immune function. And understanding how all these inputs to our human system really have a dramatic effect on our health. And I started rolling with that. I started realizing, well, all this stuff helped me. I mean, I completely transformed my health and I'm probably in the best health I've ever been now from learning all this stuff and implementing it on myself. And I started thinking of how can I use this information to help men also? And I created a cash-based model program in my urology practice where I was on the side in the evenings and during lunch, I was having Zoom calls just like this with guys and they paid me cash and I'd run their genetics. I said, well, your genetics show John, you should be eating this, not that. You should be doing this for your detox. This supplement may be off. We should check testing on that. This, this is the best type of exercise for you. All these different aspects of health. And John, let me tell you, man, I suddenly fell in love with medicine all over again. Like I freaking love this stuff. And the more I learn about longevity and epigenetics and call it anti-aging, call it functional medicine, it all kind of intersects. And I leveraged that newfound passion with my 23 years of experience 
with my entrepreneurial spirit to put it all together to create this cash-based business that I now have and on the tipping point now of it really exploding. That is awesome. And it was your aha moment when you went and got, you know, basically got a physical, got your labs drawn. Was that your aha moment where like, it was. I, I got to do something different? Yeah. yeah. And I actually, I wrote a book last year also, John. It took me about a, almost two years to write this book called Mail 2.0, Cracking the Code to Limitless Health and Vitality. And I started that book actually with that experience of talking about sitting in that doctor's office you know, suddenly I'm the patient, not the doctor and sitting there with that, that stupid paper gown on and getting a rectal, my first rectal exam ever for myself, you know, given a billion of them, but having, having it done yourself, it's weird. And, and then having to sit there while you, while he looks at your labs and you're on the screen, like, well, what is it? But, you know, it's a totally different experience and open my eyes to, to this vulnerability and how we need to take charge of, and take control of our health. And that got me into the focus on, you know, disease model medicine. Like what, what we learned in medical school is all about this disease, diabetes, you treat it with insulin and metformin. This disease, you treat it with that. This disease, you treat it with that. And once you get to neutral, once you get to baseline, you're good. You're out of here. I'll see you next time. And I use the analogy or the, the point of NED, no evidence of disease. We talk about that in, you know, as physicians, we talk about it all the time that that's great. When we get, when we get someone cancer free, NED, you're no evidence of disease. You're great. I'll see you in a year. You're out of here. There's nothing else discussed. Stress, sleep, fitness, hormones, detox, movement, mindset nothing. And so that really got me down this path of optimization. And, and so when people ask me, what do I do? It's men's health optimization, it's longevity, it's performance. It's, it's this new area of, of health that is really exploding right now that is exciting. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I've been on that path for, I don't know, probably five or six years. I'd mentioned, I was taking a, you know, I've been taking metformin forever and I've yeah. you know, read the book Lifespan and sleep and all stuff. So I'm, now I, I can't do what you do. I don't want to be a coach for it. But it's funny, I was in the emergency department literally last night, and I have this guy who comes in. He had already left AMA early in the day, and his troponin was up. And for the non-physicians listening to this, meaning he's probably had some sort of heart, heart issue. And he, so he's back. And so I said, you know, he's short of breath, and he's overweight, and he smells like cigarettes. He smells like alcohol. I go, you know, did you get the vaccine? No. Are you still smoking? Yes. Are you still drinking? Yes. Are you doing this? No. I'm like, and I was like, dude, why are you here? Like, exactly as you said, he's here about the disease, but had he done anything before that they care of himself, may not be there. So here's the question. So I get people are paying you. If they're coming to you, they have some motivation to write. But what is your, what do you think your uptake is? So you give people this great advice on lifestyle modification, mindset modification, all these things. What do you think they're, what do you think the uptake is? So I, I actually, I do a lot more than that, John. So to clarify, I prescribe hormones. I prescribe not just testosterone, but thyroid and DHEA and, and you know, looking at vitamin D, looking at estrogen, looking at all, all the other hormone, you know, functional lab testing that we do, like Dutch hormone testing to really look at cortisol and neurotransmitter and organic acids and all these other key hormones that we never freaking learn about in medical school, never learn about it in traditional yeah. medicine. Um, I'm prescribing a ton of peptides as well. Peptides are signaling molecules. They're short proteins that are amazing for reducing inflammation or, or optimizing immune function or helping musculoskeletal repair or gut health. Peptides like BPC or CJC or thymusin alpha, thymusin beta, mod SC, things that we never even heard of when we were in medical training. And they're amazing. And I do a lot of work with wearable tech. So like, you know, my clients wear either a Garmin or, or an Aura ring. There you go. And CGM, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of continuous glucose monitoring. You, you got one too? Yes. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. So it's not just for diabetic, it's for high performance. Yeah. And so, 
So what I do, John, is I integrate the cutting edge medical management with wearable tech, with genetics. I have health coaches that work for me as well that focus on the lifestyle modification and the accountability and stuff. And I put that all together with a concierge wrapping on it. So I have a concierge uh, team that provides patients with all the, the support that they need for getting prescriptions and supplements mailed to their door. And guys love it. And guys feel amazing. And, and we talk about, uh, you know, reversing aging and all the studies that show that, that extending longevity is possible. And, you know, we're seeing that. So it's fun. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds really cool. And I think that you're, I mean, I think what you described is going to give a lot of physicians hope that it may not be doing what you do, but it may be finding another passion still within medicine. Yeah. So um, I've opened here the Gapin Institute. I have kind of a, a two-pronged approach to, to my business from a business model perspective. I have the Gapin Institute for Men's Health, which is the brick and mortar here, which we are launching as I speak here, building, you know, the build-out's complete and putting furniture and stuff now and finally seeing patients. We'll treat, you know, ED, we'll treat low testosterone. Obviously, we have a weight loss program, hair loss program. I have a nurse practitioner doing aesthetics and typical men's health uh, management as well for typical men's health needs. Um, all cash-based. There's no insurance, all cash. I have a uh, the high-ticket year-long program as well that incorporates all those pieces that I talked about earlier. I have an executive health evaluation so guys can fly in for a day and they get you know white glove service with limo support, you know limo drive over to the imaging center for their full body CT and coronary calcium score and carotid ultrasound. And then they get uh, their labs and genetics and body composition done here in the office and a bunch of coaching and you know, full day immersive experience. So I have all these high ticket and low ticket um, offerings in the brick and mortar. And then I'm also working with a company that I partner with on a national offering as well. So um, other doctors can run similar program for their clients in their state as well. So there's a virtual angle to it as well as the brick and mortar angle. So you have a a licensing model where if I want to start one here in Scottsdale, I could basically use everything you've already developed. That's right. Basically license your, license your, not franchise, but license it. That's interesting. Exactly. So, you know, there's a, a, a huge, I call it a men's health pandemic. You know, when I, when I speak about this on stage or in podcasts and stuff, I talk about how there's this silent men's health pandemic that's not getting the attention it deserves with low testosterone and obesity and cardiovascular disease, sexual health and, and shortening lifespan. And the only answer out there is testosterone. You know, all these men's health clinics out there is bullshit. You know that it's yeah. just testosterone shots. And so I put all these pieces together that with the genetics and the wearable tech and the functional medicine and the health coaching and the fitness, all of it into one package. And that's been called Male 90X, my program that I, I we're going to rename that because we're afraid P90X will get pissed off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a program that, that we have a, a training, a certification program. So doc like you in Scottsdale, we have uh, Greenberg, he's a urologist in Arizona. Uh, I think he's in Phoenix area, uh, Scottsdale area also. Um, he's going through that program right now. I have docs in different states who are getting involved and then they'll be able to manage a guy in your area who calls in and says, Hey, yeah, I feel like shit. I want to lose weight, get better energy, better sex life. Well, we have the solution for you. It is a cash-based model and it's all virtual from where they are. And you're licensed in that state so that, you know, you would fulfill that licensing requirement. That's very cool. When did you start that business model? Um, well, I've been doing that for about two and a half, three years now in my urology practice. And just in the last year, we've been working on those, those certification program for other providers to learn how to do what I'm doing. A lot of it is, you know, like you asked offline before the call here about, about the, the epigenetics training and how do I go through that? And, and you got to get these other docs kind of up to speed on that as well. So there's some easy parts to it and some heavy lifting as well. Isn't it funny looking back how much we did not learn in medical school? We learned a lot about disease, but not a lot about prevention and, yeah. and lifestyle, which is what we're all really here for. At the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do is you know prolong functional life. 
it, you're right. And, and there's honestly nothing I'm doing right now that I ever learned in medical school. Yeah. It's all stuff that I learned on my own in the last, you know, five, six, seven years going through all these different training programs. I've gone through A4M, I've gone through AMMG, I've gone through the Apiron, I've done some functional medicine training as well. And it's following your passion. What was your biggest aha moment doing this? Like, what, what did you say? It was like, holy crap, how did I not know this before? Given everything I've done mm-hmm. and taking physical chemistry, how did I not know this previously? You know, I think the biggest thing would be mindset. So there is this deafening voice in our heads that tells us you're stuck, you're trapped. This is it. You can't get out. You know, the money's too good. You can't leave. And it kept me in in medicine longer than I wanted to be. And I've been in several mastermind groups that helped me uh, more with the mindset than any of the actual tactics or strategies to learn that we can do whatever the hell we want to do. There's no limit to what we can do once we believe it. And once I had that mindset shift where I believe I could do whatever the F I want to do, Suddenly, urology was just, it was a stepping stone. And so I don't see that I wasted any time. I I find tremendous value in in that experience because it got me to where I am now. And so any other doctors listening, think of everything you've done up until now, a stepping stone to the next phase of your life. But you got to believe that you can do it. And for me, that was the massive step uh, transition point for me. That was a switch. That was a switch flip for you. Like, I've got this. And and I completely agree with you. I see... So many people that are that are physicians who are stuck for all the reasons yeah. you said, and they're like, "Well, I don't have a business degree. I don't know how to do this, and I'm trapped." And I was like, "Dude, if I can figure this out, you can figure it out." And right. it's, yeah. it's not all that hard, and blah blah. Let me ask you one more question. This isn't really about being an entrepreneur, but it's something I was when I was researching you. What is this low T epidemic? What's the what's the root cause? What is the what's the root cause of it? Because that's I've never heard that before. Yeah, that, that's really mine. I've really kind of created that and own that that kind of concept because there's no one out there talking about it. So uh, I'm actually applying, by the way, for a TED talk to discuss this topic, actually. So I'm glad you actually asked it. So I call it a men's health pandemic in the fact that several huge studies show that testosterone levels are plummeting by about 1% a year. So over the last 20 years, testosterone levels have dropped by about 30%. That means that for a guy who's 50 years old today, his testosterone level is about 30% lower than a 50-year-old guy 20 years ago, and it's getting worse every year. So it's not just that testosterone lowers as you age. Of course, every, every guy every year drops a little bit, but it's also from generation to the next is plummeting. The male Massachusetts aging study showed it here in the US, and then there's a massive Sweden and Finland study that, that all three showed the same thing, that testosterone levels are plummeting. Fertility is, is dropping um, by about the same rate as well. It's actually almost 50% over the last 20 years. Free testosterone is down by about 45% over the last two decades as well. So massive decline in testosterone. We know that cardiovascular disease is worsening. We know obesity is worsening. Metabolic syndrome is, is out of control and worsening. And sexual health is deteriorating. We, we, you know, we, we see more and more guys struggling with sexual health issues in their 20s and 30s and 40s now. Dude, I see guys, John, in their 20s that have near castrate levels of testosterone on a regular basis. It is scary. And no one's talking about it. And you know, the other part is lifespan. Our lifespan, as long as we've known, it's been increasing every year. We're learning more about extending life and lifespan. Our lifespan is actually decreasing right now for the first time in a long time. And so all that is what I call is the men's health pandemic that's getting no attention. And it's scary. And I say that in 20 years, if we don't do something, our entire male population is going to be infertile and impotent. And so 
we can look at causes of it, but suffice it to say, it's very clear that there's this massive men's health crisis that's happening. And and the only answer out there is, is here, take some testosterone. It hasn't been a reason for the lowered decrease in testosterone level. I know it gets, as you said, lower as you age, yeah. but just lower yeah. across the board. Yeah. So, and, and it's funny you said that as I was drinking from my stainless steel water bottle, because we know that the biggest culprit and tons of science behind this, this is not just my theory, is endocrine disruptors. So endocrine disruptors are chemicals, toxins, toxicants in our environment that we know crush our health. They cause immune problems, autoimmune disease. They cause inflammatory conditions. They cause issues with hormones such as testosterone, thyroid, estrogen. We know that endocrine disruptors cause cancer and they cause mood issues and depression and precocious puberty and on and on and on. And so tons of studies show that uh, there are chemicals specifically related to low testosterone. So for example, atrazine, atrazine is a chemical that's sprayed on our crops, especially our corn crops in the Midwest. And the studies on atrazine show that they massively impact testosterone levels. There was a frog study that frogs were exposed to very low levels of atrazine, like infinitely lower than what we we have in our drinking water and in our food. And these male frogs actually turned female and they laid eggs and reproduced. Wow. Pretty crazy. We know that BPA, bisphenol A, is used to make plastic water bottles. It has a massive impact on testosterone production. Um, We know that phthalates, phthalates are used to make plastics, make plastics bendable and flexible, crush testosterone. Uh, We know that phytoestrogens like soy, most of the soy here in the U.S. is processed and refined and doesn't even resemble the original soybean. And we know that all that that processed uh, phytoestrogen uh, crushes testosterone. We know that estradiol, you know, women are taking birth control with synthetic estrogen, estradiol, and it's a very resilient molecule. It does not get filtered by the municipal treatment plants, and it's in our drinking water. And we drink it, and it gets into our fat, and it doesn't clear. And all these studies show that these toxins upon toxins upon toxins are layers of endocrine disruptions happening in us. And it's not just us. There's actually very clear evidence that there's a transgenerational effect as well. So we know that like, you know, women in the 1940s were given uh, DES, diethylstilbestrol, estrogen, uh, synthetic estrogen for preventing premature labor and and stillbirth. And we know that that was stopped when we found that the women offspring, the female offspring were getting clear cell vaginal cancers. Well, the boy offspring, the, the boys, the male offspring were having testicular dysgenesis and disruption of normal testicular function. And that's not just that one generation, it, it perpetuates over future generations. And so we can look at you know increased stress, we can look at poor sleep, we can look at the crummy diet nutrition that we have, but you can account for all that stuff, account for the, the obesity. And I believe that, that the endocrine disruptors in our society are way more responsible um, for it than anything else. That is amazing. So basically, I knew zero of that. So thanks for thanks for that education, Tracy. Hey, Tracy, where can people find out more of you, uh, more about you, and where can they uh, where if they come down and visit you? Yeah, sure. So uh, my website is drtracygappin.com, and uh, my center is the Gappin Institute. Uh, Gappininstitute.com will have its own website shortly. Right now, it still redirects to mine, but uh, we'll have a separate website for that because I do plan on scaling that brick and mortar center as well to multiple other locations too. So. So that my website is drtracygappin.com, and uh, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. Thanks. And folks, we'll put all this in our show notes. Tracy, thank you very much. This was hugely, uh, hugely interesting, and I think very inspiring for a lot of folks. So I really appreciate it. You got it, John. Glad to be with you today. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. 
Thanks for listening.